Hello and welcome to the Limerick Community Voices podcast presented by Limerick Public Participation Network. The PPN is a network of community voluntary, social inclusion and environmental organisations working to improve the lives of people in Limerick City and County. Limerick Public Participation Network enables the community to be represented in decision-making processes such as Limerick City and County Council committees and local public consultation processes. We believe that by working together we can better share ideas and information, amplify our voices and help create a better Limerick for all. To find out more and to get involved with the PPN, please visit limerickppn.ie or email us at ppn at limerick.ie. We would love to hear from you. This podcast brings you the voices of some of the many great people involved in the PPN. In each episode, we learn a little about each guest, how they got started in the work they are doing and their thoughts on making a difference in the community. Without further ado, let's join our host, Rory McKiernan, for this episode of the Limerick Community Voices podcast. Hello, Rory here, and I'm delighted to be a guest host of this episode of the podcast. In it, we hear from Killian Flynn. Killian is the operations manager with GOSH, which is a charity that focuses on prevention, care and support services for the LGBT community. Now, let's jump right in and get started with the conversation with Killian Flynn. Killian Flynn, you're very, very welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Not too bad. Thanks very much for having me. Uh, looking forward to the chat. Um, very vibrant, busy office you have here. <laughs> Looks like a real hive of activity. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, we're kind of slowly getting back to kind of pre-COVID levels in terms of people coming through the door. There's still a few kind of restrictions in place and that, but not even restrictions, more kind of just safety measures that we have in place. But yeah, it's finally starting to get back to the hive of activity that it was before COVID. I suppose that physicality is really important as well. Like, I mean, the virtual world has loads of merits, but the fact of a welcoming face in the door kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And I suppose even you noticed as you walked in the door, you know, kind of that feeling that when you come in the door, you can, and it's really hard to describe it when you're talking to someone about it. But yeah, it's just that warmth, that welcoming vibe that we aim to have regardless of who comes in the door. Yeah. Something that's important for us. And I'd imagine it's important for you, but probably the reason it's important for you is because it's really important to the clients and people that come in. I don't know if you call them clients or not, but... Yeah, clients, service users, whichever. I suppose at the end of the day, without them coming through the door, we're not here. Yeah, and and presumably you have a whole range and spectrum of people with different needs and some of them perhaps in maybe a moment of distress or trouble and they... that warmth is is critical it's key you know um someone coming in who may have walked past the building three or four times before kind of building up the courage to come through the door that friendly um welcoming environment is key you know kind of first impressions are very important um you know and it's very important that everyone receives the same welcome when they come through the door Mm. Yeah, we probably all have been in a position where maybe you were a little bit sick or vulnerable or lonely or stressed and you went into some service and you weren't met with the the warmth that you'd like. So Exactly. And whether the person goes back is is a key thing as well. You know, that that environment is there so that you know, it's their space. It's the people who come through the door, it's mm. their space. So it's very important that they receive that. Can you give me maybe a sense of some of the the issues and topics that are kind of on your table or in the conversations every day amongst through the work? Yeah. So the organization is called GOSH. I often describe it as our our Ron Seal name because it does exactly as it says in the tin. So it's gender, orientation, sexual health and HIV are the areas that we work in. So it's everything from 
information and advocacy work to one-to-one client support and counselling. We do some sexual health testing as well, um, general information helpline, and um, another big aspect of what we do is a free condom service as well. Wow, so the, yeah. the, that's, that's a huge amount. I mean, we could start at the pick off any exactly, number of yeah. issues there. And obviously that there's a spectrum there of mental health, physical health, sexual health. Yeah. Um, and it seems like, you know, Ireland has certainly made progress, but not <laughs> enough. We have. We've, we've made progress in certain areas. There's other areas that need a lot of attention. There's other areas that maybe have taken a little bit of a step back than where we were. Um, you know, laws and legislation and guidelines and all that, they all can change relatively easy as long as, you know, except for things like the marriage referendum and stuff like that, where you have to go to a vote. But it's people's attitudes and people's viewpoints are a bit, it's easier to change a law than it is to, to change someone's view. Okay, so, so that suggests <laughs> It's a loaded me, statement as well. It, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot to unpack there. So that suggests to me that, you know, there's a lot of unresolved, uh, well, maybe you speak to it specifically because there's no yeah, point in this. It, it can be, you know, there's a lot of, for someone struggling with their gender identity or with their orientation, you know, there's a lot of coming to terms within themselves first. And sometimes someone coming through the door who's um, struggling with their orientation, for example, coming in and talking to us might be the first time that they speak out loud around about their orientation and say, I'm gay, I'm a lesbian, I'm transgender, I'm bisexual, things like that. Sometimes it's the first time they say it out loud and it's quite important that we allow the weight that comes with that and mm. the struggle and the journey that someone has gone through to to get to that point. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's important. We don't just work with the individuals. We work with family members as well. So, you know, there's a lot in it for, for parents or for siblings, for partners to come to terms with as well. So it's that general wraparound holistic approach that we have. So mm. it's not just the person at the centre of it. Well, they are at the centre of it, but it's the immediate family as well that we would work with. Is there a misconception out there that, you know, with the marriage referendum and everything that we suddenly sorted everything out? And oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. So you have marriage now. What else do you need? Yeah. Um, yeah. But there's still a lot. Um, as I said, attitudes is a big thing. Um, when we look at um, trans rights and trans healthcare is is a big thing. Um, I know it's time we're recording. A survey recently came out of the European Trans Health Um survey and Ireland came last in Europe in Mm. terms of it. You know, we see people who are traveling to other countries in Europe to access uh, gender uh, surgery, crowdfunding to go and have that surgery. Um, Our National Gender Service at the minute is working with referrals from about three years ago. Um, Now, I know COVID has played a big part in that, but not three years, you know, three years we were before COVID. Um, so yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot there. Um, you know, there's just still, still a few things that need to kind of come along and just kind of improve a bit more mm. so we can reach that full dream of full equal society. And what beyond just healthcare, um, what are the principal barriers that still exist in, in preventing people having 
uh, free and equal existence? Um, some of it is, it's a general health issue, I think, is, is waiting list. Some of it is that. Um, and just for people just trying to access mental health services, trying to access dedicated mental health services around issues relating to them. So, you know, whether it's gender identity or orientation, it is, it's a little bit more specialised. So mm. it's just making sure that the services are there to meet the demand. Um, and then just that, you know, healthcare itself in terms of, you know, even we see it on forms, male, female, things like that. Just tiny little things that might seem small and in, insignificant to some people, but to other people looking at a form and seeing options or a free text box where they can write in their gender identity, you know, is is a massive thing. Um, assumptions around, you know, a male presenting person in front of a doctor and talking about, you know, sex life or that and assuming that the partner is of an opposite gender or of a different gender to them. Just little things like that, that assumptions that's there um, and just that kind of stuff. Mm. And that, that's amongst healthcare providers. So that's like a front line. Yeah, it is. And, yeah. you know, like, you know, they're swamped as it is, right? you know, try not to add a whole lot onto it. Yeah. I wonder, is there a certain element of demographic and age involved in that or does it is regardless of that? Um, yes and no. It depends. Yeah, it, there can be a times, but some of that might come down to the, the training that's there mm. at the time as well. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we've done some work with local healthcare services here in, in the Midwest region. Um but it's just trying to make sure that that universal approach is there on it as well. Mm. Um, it's really important that that's kind of achieved. And what about the education system and schools? How are we doing in that regard? Um, we're, we're just after coming off the back of a RSE review. So just kind of submissions going in on that. Um, you know, I think some of it comes down to the ethos of the schools. Um, some of it comes down to around kind of, you know, puberty just kind of basically going puberty uh the changing body reproduction that's it you know as opposed to exploring relationships exploring you know demographics it's it's there in certain aspects i know a couple of years ago the leave insert paper spoke around a family income and it was two women that were used as the example on it um but you know just and it's little things like that just where people feel seen feel recognized feel part of society mm. at the end of the day we all want to get up go to work pay our taxes do well don't know if we want to pay our taxes mm. but it's fun you know we all want to be the same mm. um so it's around that equal society that's there and just achieving that mm. so because I, I actually worked on sexual health education 20 years ago and okay. what you're saying to me <laughs> was there at the time <laughs> well what you, yeah it, it sounds to me that there is not a huge amount of progress like it and maybe it's piecemeal and maybe maybe it's dependent on the particular school and teacher it can do if there's a very proactive teacher it can mean an awful lot but that's that's no good for hundreds of thousands no. of students to no. just be left to the look of look of yeah. A, a teacher's viewpoint. Yeah. So yeah. Does, does that lead us into then uh, the education on the street and online? Yeah. As in the wild west of the online. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and, you know, we talk about it with clients when they're 
ringing up around kind of sexual health information. You know, Google's great at times, but also Google can be your worst enemy at times as well. That yeah. Dr. Google in terms of healthcare is is not the best. Yeah. Um, you know, so you can keep looking and keep searching for what you want. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's around that just, you know, when I say one proactive teacher, it would be great if all the teachers were all kind of, you know, seen after him, same, same hymn sheets, just in terms of what's there. And, you know, that again, like we say, regardless of who's at the desk, when someone comes through the door that, you know, whatever teacher you turn to, that they're there, they're supportive and it shouldn't be, you know, it's about what's best for the person in front of them, not yeah. their view, their belief. Okay. Do you find that um, porn is having a, a, a overly dominant role in terms of as a as a de facto provider of education or shaping attitudes? It can do. Um, it can have the the misconception around you know what is sex, what is um, consent, all of this kind of. We even see it with like condom demonstrations. You know, like we have a con- we have a conversation where. We talk about proper condom use and all of this, and it's not like to pull it out of your back pocket, rip it out, open, rip the packet open with your teeth, and all the you know that you would see in in kind of online videos and that you know there's a lot more in terms of what you should check for all of that, um, but it can have an effect. It can have a negative effect as well um, in terms of you know conception around what's cons- what's consent as well, and that's mm. a big piece that's coming up as well. Yeah, consent is a huge one, and it, it does thankfully seem to be on the agenda. Nash. It is. Yeah. It's starting to come up. The conversation is there. Um, yeah, it's it's starting to, yeah. to to be there and to be prominent, which is really good. Yeah, and then you know it's a difficult kind of issue to get into, but it's it feels important that the fact that there's this kind of global, in many ways, sort of American led, but not exclusively. Well, certainly not exclusively, but the, the whole culture war phenomenon and the fact that there seems to be this kind of weaponizing around trans rights and a, essentially picking on trans people. Yeah. And suddenly, you know, it struck me during the Tory, well, one of the Tory leaders debates <laughs> that, <that's>, <laughs> yeah, that, that they decide to focus on trans rights and the country falling down around them. Yeah. And that's what they're talking about. Uh, but it but it was not a meaningful, genuine debate. It was by way of demonising some group to yeah. distract. Exactly, and it's it's kind of speaking to to some cohorts that you know they're they're politicised. They vote. They take part in those kind of things. And you know, a leadership election in terms of politics, people who are involved in politics or you know party members in that they, you know, they're. We're seeing it now, we're seeing younger people get involved, but sometimes, you know, and maybe seen as a bit of a stereotype, it's it's an older demographic in terms of the underground party members. So kind of speaking to some people with that viewpoint was something that I noticed during the, one of the, the many uh, leadership battles that were there in the UK. Um, but it is something, it's something that's still there. It's something that, I don't know, is kind of being masked or is it being pushed through under the guise of, you know, Brexit is the big thing and all these little things that are coming through in terms of changing, the, um, you know, politicising trans healthcare, trans rights. Um, you know, it's it's a massive thing that's coming up for people and it's, it's really starting to have a negative impact on the mental health of some people. 
Yeah, yeah. So, so this is it. I mean, people can have their big uh, debate and big fight over a population group, but it's kind of forgetting that there are real people affected as they yeah. listen on and watch on. Yeah. Um, thinking of, you know, the school in County Meath and without getting into specifics. Yeah. But at the centre is a student and then presumably other students and in many other schools. And yeah. they become this focal point of national interest and debate. Exactly. And, uh, yeah. and some kids at home that evening thinking, yeah, I'm being debated. Yeah. Or someone who was plucking up the courage to have a conversation with a parent, a friend, another teacher and suddenly seeing that happen and kind of, you know, stepping back further into that closet that's there mm. and, you know, pushing down what, ha- what their feelings, you know, the internalised homophobia or transphobia that's there is, yeah, it's a big thing that will come out in other ways or down the line in terms mm. of mental health work or how that person is and lives their life is, is a massive. So that's, that's where it gets like... You know, it's deadly serious at all times, but particularly when the mental health continuum ends up in sort of repression, depression, and then like worst case scenario, suicide. And uh, I think, as we know, like the, the, the suicide rates amongst the trans community are, are very uh, too high. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they are. Um, you know, any suicide numbers are, are too high as far as I'm concerned. But when you break it down within demographics, within age groups or community cohorts and that yeah there is a it's very clear that it's higher amongst Mm. um trans people amongst um lgbti people as well and not just here in ireland but across the world you can see Mm. it yeah and so that the global perspective is interesting because obviously there are many many uh possibly even the majority countries that are stuck in a very regressive uh, tragic sort of um, repression, if you like, legally and otherwise culturally. Yeah. Um, so in some ways, you know, whilst there are major challenges still in Ireland, it does feel like we have some positive momentum. Oh, we do. Yeah. We definitely do. Like when you look at it, Ireland was the first country in the world to legalise um same-sex marriage by a popular vote. You know, it's something that's there, it's in the history books, it can never be taken away. You know, so there are some good, positive things that have come out of of the country and so on like that. Um, but, yeah, you know, when you break it down and you look at what's happening around the world, it it's, it's, makes you glad in ter- terms of, you know, where we live and what we have for our community members versus what you see in other countries, you know. It, it can be hard to sometimes the news can be hard like it's hard anyway to mm. watch the news at the minute mm. but then when you see kind of messaging or stories around people who are similar to people you work with or how you identify or anything like that it, it's hard to switch off and just see it as a news story yeah absolutely i mean i was the world cups coming up in qatar and i'm reading about the treatment of people there you know women gay community trans yeah. everything um, and the danger is that we just end up watching sports and letting them off with this. And, yeah, exactly. And then, I, you know, you hear during the summertime, you know, well, there's pride, but sure, why do we need pride now? But like you take that global lens, then it's clear that. Yeah, exactly. You know, you see it and, you know, 
we're fortunate enough that a Pride Parade can happen here in Limerick. You know, we work across Limerick, Clare and Tipperary. This year, we've seen Pride Parades in all the areas that we work in, which is our Pride Festivals. We've had a parade and a festival in Thurlis. We've had a festival in Clare. You know, so like I started getting involved with this organisation 10 years ago through working on the Pride Festival and it was just Limerick. And now to see all these smaller local Prides come up is is really good mm. um you know even the mess or the news stories that were coming out of sligo earlier in the year with the, the murders there and the, the pride community pride festival and the pride working groups coming together to have an event to kind of respect and honor the people who had who lost their lives just for for being themselves yeah that's it's actually just chilling to be honest um yeah you know mentioning that it's hard not to just get a tingle like, like yeah. a chill of how severe and like you know that that that's modern day art that's yeah yeah things that you know this welcoming society that's there it's built it's there and you know and that's where we go back to the you know but there's gay marriage now what else do you need and it's that yeah. safety element that's there as well and and then what about you know because it was only um not long from when we're having this conversation that there was a, a priest, um, you know, ha- having a moment in the podium in, in Kerry. Yeah. And that, that, fair enough, like the bishop and, and the congregation and so many challenged that. But then he was also given like national airtime to expand upon those exactly views. You know, and yeah, I get, you know, the right to reply, balanced media, all of that. But at the same time, you're giving someone more airtime to peddle this and you know journalists can challenge and so on like that but he's still getting the airtime to to talk that through and you know it's a video i haven't fully watched myself because it's that kind of i don't want to give it that view yeah 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 no i was just struck by you know listening to him on the radio and i'm going well that's all very entertaining but at the other end of that are like parents and children and everything listening in. Yeah. And if it's adding to suffering, then at what benefit is all, all of this? Oh, so yeah, exactly. It just speaks to these kind of, I suppose, how we began this kind of un, un this the need for more work, basically, you know, and a need for dedicated work yeah. and expanded work. Exactly. Yeah. And I remember when I first started getting involved in community work and kind of making it like my full-time job I remember someone going you know the idea of community work is you're working yourself out of a job you know 10 years later I'm still here mm. as an organisation you know as we've gone through our own identity as well in terms of our branding and our name and so on like that we're around since the late 80s so you know we're working ourselves out of a job but we're still here mm. you know yeah um so we're, as we're recording here, there's some noises <laughs> going on in the background. I'm uh, sure what that is. I think there's um, <laughs> in, the, in the building in next in the building next door is a child playing, but there, there's a boat noise <laughs> somewhere. So yeah, interesting noise. So we're, we're going to roll with that and keep it in the podcast because it demonstrates the the challenges of community work and the the many sights and sounds and tastes no and flavors. Same. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well put. And um, so you mentioned when you first got involved, and I suppose in in some ways I should have began with that, Killian. But can you oh, yeah. maybe bring me back to the early days and when you first did um, have an inclination to get involved in volunteering, community work, that kind yeah. of thing? Yeah. So I suppose growing up, I was always kind of volunteering and different things and stuff like that, um, and. 
when I'd moved to Limerick first, I was here in terms of moved to work, moved to Limerick for a job. And just as I kind of settled in and got to know people, just got involved in different things. So I would have started off involved in the Pride Festival here in Limerick and then um, started volunteering here in Gosh, which was Red Ribbon Project at the time, which was more work around HIV, hepatitis and sexual health. Um, and then was volunteering. A position came up in terms of an office-based role um, so I applied for that just it was July 2012 um, and then kind of yeah went from there and now my role at the minute is operations manager so I'm deputy manager here um, and kind of I joined as a brand new role which was the fifth member of staff and it was all excitement for this fifth person and now as an organization we're 14 staff here um, the work has expanded it expanded about nine years ago um to incorporate the lgbt side of work so the gender and orientation work um so we went through a bit of a identity crisis ourselves in terms of who we were um so we went from red ribbon project to gosh and yeah that's coming up on about nine years ago now and so we'd work across limerick clare and north tipperary mm. Um, and like growing up and um, that volunteer, that sort of mindset or inclination, like wh- what do you feel like would have led you to volunteer and get involved in the community as opposed to maybe people who don't or have you any sense of um, your own inspirations? It was something that was always in my family. Yeah. Um, my, my dad would have always been involved in, in different committees or different groups. Um, just kind of, yeah, just between sports or local community groups and local radio and stuff like that. So I think it started off, I it was transition year work experience, did some stuff in the local radio station back home and just kind of went from there, just stayed involved in that. So it was just something that was always there and something I was interested in. So it was kind of, yeah, I was yeah, interested like a- in it and just kind of kept me out of trouble. I used to say growing up, yeah. uh, just kind of, yeah, something like that. So kind of civic mindedness. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like a active participation. Exactly. Yeah. Citizenship kind of uh, sensibility. And I suppose that's uh, in essence what the, the PPN is, is kind of about is fostering that sense of participation and, and exactly yeah. encouraging people. It's not that people aren't active. There's like plenty of people active, but it's then to, to help them connect with each other. Yeah, exactly. You know, like it's not around, you know, whether organization a or organization b some of the work that it might seem quite different but some of the challenges some of the obstacles some of the the governance stuff that is needed is the same so why not try and get everyone together so shared experiences shared knowledge shared kind of don't do that do this you know sometimes we talk more about what to do but sometimes it's kind of like we tried this and it didn't work this worked for us Mm. you know it's that just kind of getting people in a room together to talk mm. and just to share ideas that that knowledge sharing is massive and you know i think volunteering is great and brilliant and all that but sometimes when the person leaves the, their skill set goes with them so it's around making sure that we have a, a space to share and to just kind of bounce ideas off of people so that when a person goes the organization doesn't suffer like there are strong people who when they go with the presence is, is felt that they're gone but just around making sure that what the skills and the attributes that are there from the organization you know that that's there the whole time going back again to what you're saying when you walk through the door that that feeling will always be there 
you know it's how mm. we operate it's how we we train our, our staff and our volunteers so it's harnessing that and just trying to bring it across all the organizations mm. um what has been your personal experience and like around the ppn and particularly why you got involved um as well i got involved um back when I think it was first launching uh, after the change and kind of the launch of the PPN. So I remember going to meetings when the council were involved and talking about what it was and, you know, looking at the first set of structures and so on like that, that were there. Um, Some of it was I'm the volunteer coordinator here as well. So it kind of fitted in nicely in terms of the the community involvement. Um, And some of my work is the non-client work side of things. So in terms of the day-to-day operation stuff and, you know, making sure, as I say, just coffee in the kitchen to money in the bank account is kind of what fits in my role. So it just fitted in nicely on it. Um, in terms of the first structures, I was there when um, I sat on the Community Leisure and Emergency Services SPC. Um, that I've come back, she's come back a while now. You're, you're a veteran, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, <laughs> I was, yeah, I was, yeah. For, for some reason, glutton for punishment at times. Um, do I do like a good meeting at times. Um, you know, from then um, in, it was funny, it was February 2020, I was on the, uh, there was the implementation advisory group is what it was called. I was PPN rep for that, for the, putting together the final report for the directly elected mayor for Limerick City, uh, uh, for Limerick City and County. So the plebiscite vote that happened in the last local and European elections, Limerick said yes, so sat on that um, as the PPN rep, just to make sure that the community voices were heard. We had a say in terms of what was happening with my own work hat on. It was around making sure things were inclusive, language was inclusive. So anyone that read that report or wanted to put themselves forward could see themselves in that role. So, you know, that's the language around he, she, and taking that out and saying the person or they, just making sure those little nuances were there. Um, so that report is, um, the group now has, has disbanded. The group, the report has gone to the um, relevant government department and we're waiting in terms of that. Um, and so once that wrapped up, I moved over then. There was a position on the Joint Policing Committee. So in terms of what we do here in Gosh, it's an important one that that we have a seat on, that we're there to make sure safety is important. Yeah. Have you, have you seen any sort of practical wins or practical successes and like the benefits in terms of... Um, you know, because inherently everybody involved in community and voluntary work is overstretched and under-resourced. <laughs> Just and a small bit. Constantly yeah. tired. You know, general question, how are you? Tired. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the tired sector. Um, <laughs> Fueled by coffee at times. Yeah, a little bit like that. Um, so, you know, how do you sort of sell, you know, well, it's good to get involved in this new thing because it's like, <laughs> oh, cripes, you know, but clearly there are benefits because otherwise you wouldn't be doing it. So you're seeing something and maybe even not in the present tense, but the potential is always there for more. And that's and the thing. Yeah, it's the potential that that it can do, you know, in terms of the, the one I'm on at the moment is the Joint Policing Committee. And it's, you know sitting in a room with decision makers around laws or the local police so that if something is needed from our service that we can reach out and, you know, we have named people that we can reach out to, you know, even just from being involved in it, we've done a couple of training sessions with uh, new recruits based here in, in the Rick City around 
uh, working with uh, LGBTI people, around working with sex workers, around working with uh, trans community, even reporting hate crime, just things like that. And some of that wouldn't have happened if we weren't at that table. Very interesting. Um, so it's important that that as well. It's important that, you know, the voices of minority groups and hidden communities within our regions are heard at the tables as well. And if, you know, as an agency, we're here to kind of not speak up fully for them, but just to make sure that, you know, they're included, they're thought of, um, they're they're respected. And, you know, if legislation is coming down, that all voices are heard. Mm. So, so a real strong uh, sense of advocacy and the need to yeah. raise voices and definitely, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it can be a raised voice, but that's okay as okay. well. <laughs> can be, you know, but it's just, yeah, it's around, I suppose, being passionate about what we work in and what we believe in. Yeah, um, like the raised voice sense <laughs> is, um, you know, the, the 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 potential is always there for like confrontation and conflict, oh, yeah. and that's what everyone. Nobody really loves that, and, no. and if people do love it, then that's a different problem. <laughs> yeah, and um, that 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 maybe requires separate yeah, analysis. I like a good meeting. I don't like a good argument. Yeah, <laughs> but but we have to at the same time acknowledge that tensions do arise, oh, yeah. and they're kind of it's up to us to kind of maturely navigate that yeah. tensions are part and parcel of also kind of navigating power dynamics. Exactly. It's around, you know, agreement. It's around kind of compromise. It's, you know, sometimes that can lead to conflict, but I don't know if all the time it comes from a bad place or from a place of hurt. I think it's just, you know, I'm passionate around a topic that I'm talking about. Someone else is passionate around a topic that they're talking about. Sometimes they come out in in meetings and and that happens. Mm. You know, it happens with friends. It happens with with family. Mm. It always happens. You know, it's just, you know, you're going to get people in a room of different viewpoints or slightly different viewpoints and, you know, healthy debate at times is good. Yeah, it does speak to the importance of dialogue, though, doesn't it? Like yeah. civil, civic dialogue uh, rather than sort of Twitter debate. Yeah, exactly. You know, kind of in person or even just online kind of in terms of properly moderated online conversation can help as opposed to, you know, hiding behind a keyboard and throwing out those anonymous comments or mm. different things like that. You know, they they can hurt more or do more damage than what what's actually important. Yeah, because it, it's all too rare that somebody sort of, you know, you say this, they say that, and so it goes on. And then eventually somebody goes, oh, I've never thought of that. I, I You know, it tends to be yeah. like fight to death. Oh, yeah. You know, it's kind of don't want to be seen to be backing down at yeah. times. And some of that is that kind of public perception that's there as well, mm. especially online. Uh, you can see that with comments online and that the people are, you know, they, they can just type and post and that's it. Mm. They don't think. Whereas in a face-to-face setting or anything like that, it, it can be different because you can kind of see, you can hear the voice, but you can also see the reaction that, that the words can, can bring as well. Yeah. So when you talk about the importance of meetings, you know, um, particularly now with COVID and the potential for more meetings. Uh, <laughs> meetings that more, can be emails at times. Well, <laughs> I, what I suppose what I'm getting at is like getting off Zoom for a start for a while anyway. And obviously there, there are times when it's really useful. Um, yeah. But to be back sitting around a table, kind of thrashing things out, essentially. Yeah, I, I think it's important. Um, and even regardless of it being a meeting, we could see it with our own client work or support in our counselling sessions that 
the value and the importance that people had on that in-person session. Um, it also is, you know, if we do a session here in our building, someone's coming here, they're having their conversation and they're leaving. You know, so sometimes the emotional side of things or the stress and the conflict that's there stays there in that space. Um, whereas sometimes doing an online session, sometimes what, who, the person you're talking about is in the building as well or on the other side of the door and just you may not have that safe space. And we saw that a lot during COVID. Um, you know, people who had strong safety plans or social networks in place suddenly lost them overnight. Mm. And, you know, we used to describe it at the start as the, the pressure cooker of those two weeks between Christmas and New Year, you know, where people go home and it's like, get through the next two weeks and it'll be fine. And then back to my day to day life. But it just extended out a lot. And, you know, for some people lost jobs, they lost their homes. So they were back to teenage homes where kind of was the start of stress and anxiety and so on like that and suddenly they're they're back in their their teenage bedroom kind of reliving a lot of trauma again so a huge amount of fallout um that maybe hasn't fully been documented or understood no i mean it's still been processed it's still been processed it's still been you know i think we're going to be dealing with the effects and the challenges that covid brought us for for another while yet mm. Yeah, I have felt that myself, that, that there, there has been a bit of a rush to jump back on some horse. That, oh, yeah. It's a, it, it, the game has changed now. It's not the same horse. And no, we're kind you of, go some places and it's like, COVID? What COVID? Yeah. <laughs> you know, ven- large venues and so on. And it's nice the places are back and reopened and stuff. But, you know, there's times like it hits me about sometimes about halfway through something. It's like, oh. Ew. Well, it hits me when someone sneezes beside yeah, me. Ex- well, that's, <laughs> that's yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah, clears you, their throat around here. Suddenly, like, yeah. yeah, the head spins around. Yeah, that's definitely there as well. Yeah. And, and yet, uh, on the other hand, it, it was very much like a lot of the community bodies and groups that rallied to fill the cracks, as always, and, and really yeah. do Trojan work and, and, like, obviously a lot of interagency work. And definitely, like this, yeah. this, this state, the community, the, the collective as a whole rallying together was so vital. And, like, maybe Ireland didn't get a, an A grade, but we certainly didn't get a D grade. Oh, you definitely know? not. No, um, like, you know, all the groups came together. You know, the, the team here were... They try things, you know, thinking outside the box is, is something that often comes up, but it's that, you know, we try things, it didn't work, okay, let's try something else in terms of how we interacted with our clients, you know, like there's been some great things that have come out of it, There, you know, um, there's been some things that, you know, are there if we need to do it, but mm. not fully, you know, we'll always value the importance of an in-person support or counselling session. Um, but for someone who, you know, lives in rural West Clare and is coming into Limerick for a one hour session, that's a day, close yeah. to a day for them. It's the cost side of things as well. Whereas, you know, they can access an online one hour session and, it, you know, it just it, it there's an example that's in my head of one client that we worked with who would struggle with terms of transport or financial and so on like that. And it moved online and they've never missed an appointment since it moved online yeah. just because that stress that's gone and yeah we value the in-person and the interaction and so on like that but you know we have to weigh up the other side of it as well in terms of what 
cost that brings in terms of financial and emotional and all of that side of it as well. And stressing about, you know, coming to my counselling appointment, but I need to put petrol in the car. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, money is a real, real yeah, factor in all of this. They come in and that takes up the first 20, 25 minutes of a session yeah, as well. Yeah, You know, it's yeah. that dominant presence that's there as well. Um, you know, that's important as well. Like another positive thing that came out of uh, for COVID, from COVID for us was we introduced, just as a way of doing it, so we always had a free condom service, but we introduced a postal service where someone can go onto our website, fill in an online form, get condoms in the post for free. Plain brown envelope, discreet packaging, all of that. But to date... 35% of the condoms that we give out through the service have gone that way, have gone out to our postal service. So just these little things that when we were forced into a way of chat, thinking differently, we were able to kind of go, okay. And, in, you know, very little cost side of things, but massively enhances the service. Mm. Um, you know, it's not, it's sometimes we give out about it or it really challenges us and it was really hard, but there's a few little positive pieces that come out of it, that have come out of it. And it's, it's important that we look at those as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Killian, um, just as we uh, begin to finish up, I'm just wondering, is, is there anything else you'd like people to know about Gosh or your future plans or hopes, or maybe there's some great benefactor out there that wants to donate 5 million euro or something is there anything you want to share um, whoever that person is reach out um, I'll be very much appreciated um, no I suppose just kind of re- say to people if they want to get in contact with us or we're so it's gosh.ie and that's g-o-s-h-h dot um, we're located at 18 Davis Street here in Limerick City just down from the train station and uh, telephone number is 061-314-354 anyone has any information or are looking to access any information or any of our services just reach out and we'll do our best to support and help them Excellent and uh, do you have any sort of outreach in terms of the need for other kind of supports and volunteers used to recruit volunteers Yeah we're always recruiting volunteers so again it's all on the website um in terms of all the information and so on like that, there's an online form there. That's gosh.e forward slash volunteer. Um, whether that's on our testing program or our outreach programs to our board of directors as well, which is all volunteer based as well. So, you know, any skill sets that people have, we'll do our best to match up with that. Lovely. Well, congrats on the great work and Thank I wish you, you great success in the future. Thanks again, Killian. No problem. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Limerick Community Voices podcast by Limerick Public Participation Network. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To find out more about the Limerick PPN and to get involved, visit limerickppn.ie or email us at ppn at limerick.ie. We would love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening.